Hello, Marketeers. Welcome to another episode of AEC Marketeer Podcast, exploring AEC marketing and beyond. I'm your host, Keelan Cox, and I'll be exploring marketing trends and answering your most pressing questions to help you thrive as an AEC Marketeer. Today, we have Courtney Kearney, CPSM. She is a wife, mom, and data-loving marketer. Welcome, Courtney. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the invite to join your podcast, and I'm so excited that you're doing this. Yeah, thank you. So for those of our listeners who don't know who you are, do you want to just give a quick introduction on yourself? Absolutely. I'm Courtney Kearney, founder and owner of C. Kearney Consulting. We are a CRM consulting firm that focuses on helping the AEC industry manage their relationships with their clients. And we see that as far more than just a technology or a system, but really about process and how you manage that. And the technology is just a tool to help you do that. I am a Texas girl born and raised. I'm a, the proudest member of the Fight in Texas Ag class of 2006. Whoop. And like you said in my intro, I'm a wife, mom, and data-loving marketer. I just celebrated 14 years of marriage to my wonderful husband, who was a firefighter for 13 years and is now an ER nurse. And I have two wonderful children, Emily, who is turning 11 today, and Aiden, who is six. Before we get into where you are now, I'm curious, how did you get into the AEC industry? You know, it's so interesting that I am not one of the majority of us who slipped and tripped and fell into AEC. I knew from a very young age that this was the industry for me. My dad was a project manager at a construction firm here in the DFW area. And I grew up going to his job sites and really loved it. The pride that I felt when we passed by the hospitals that he, you know, in my opinion, when I was young, said that my dad built that as if he Mm -hmm. built it single-handedly. But, you know, just that, that pride that I had just really got into my blood from a young age. And so I started interning at that construction company when I was 14. Yes, child labor laws were in effect, so I did abide by the law. Um, <laughs> it was such a good in, you know, introduction to the industry because I got to intern through all the different departments. I was the receptionist, and they were an international construction company. So I fielded a lot of questions and, and learned a lot of things just by being the receptionist at the headquarters office, and then got to intern in the HR department in marketing, in the pre-construction department. I even got to code after I had taken some coding classes in high school in what is now called Deep Profiler. And it was just a great broad view of our industry, specifically from the construction viewpoint. But I just, I knew that this is my niche, my people. So I went to Texas A&M to study engineering and made it two and a half years and said, I cannot sit behind a desk. This is just not for me. So I took some courses and dug deep and asked all the right questions and discovered that communication is where my passion lies. And so when I graduated with a communication degree, came back to this industry to communicate for the technical staff because I do have that engineering mind. That's just how my father raised me. When the toilet was broken, he would hand me tools and say, fix it. 
Um, by the way, I was like eight when that would happen. So, you know, figuring out how the levers worked and if you do this, the handle does this. And so my, my brain just has always worked that way. So AEC has always been my fit and I love this industry. What about CRM sparked your interest? <laughs> Good question. So um, when I was a marketer, I started out with a binder and no computer and they said, do this proposal. It's similar to this one. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Where's my computer? Oh, we don't have one for you yet. How am I supposed to do a proposal? So they said, well, there's a copier. So I literally cut out paragraphs of the previous proposal and taped them together to photocopy my first proposal, oh my which is insane now, but you know, 15 years ago, not so insane, I guess. So I got a computer, taught myself InDesign, taught myself all the bits and pieces of what in the world a proposal is and how to work backwards from the deadline and get all your people in the right places. Luckily, I got to work in a department that was pretty vetted out with senior people so that they could help mentor me and train me along the way. Thankfully, I had the industry knowledge and the jargon. So really, it was just about learning the nuances of the proposal. But my most powerful tool when I was putting a proposal together was our CRM. So I would use the heck out of that thing, I would populate it. I wanted to never repeat something twice. So if I found a piece of information, I wanted to put it in a single source that I could come back to and never have to hunt and gather for that again. So mm. when I kind of wrapped my head, wrapped my hands around the system and knew how powerful it was, I ended up being one of the power users and the construction firm had many offices across the nation and Caroline would call me from the Florida office and say, oh my gosh, thank you so much for putting this information in two years ago because you just saved me time because you did. Now I want to populate my information. So mm -hmm. um, Nicole would do the same from Colorado and the Mexico office would do the same. And really everybody started to adopt the system a whole lot more because you're paying it forward to not only yourself, but others and paying it forward to your company. Because if you walk out the door, you've populated their history and their information and, and really done them a, a service as well. Yeah. So I, I just became known in the firm as like the CRM chick. And then when I was pregnant with my first daughter, I said, surely I'm not the only one who is using this system. Who else could be using the system? So I put out a call in our local SMPS chapter, which it was combined at the time for the DFW chapter and just said, Hey, does anybody else use this specific system? And there were several. So I put a user group together and we had lunch and just kind of talked best practices and people said, Hey, I really want this to continue. Will you keep facilitating this? So I would rotate offices between Dallas and Fort Worth. So everybody could attend because we are kind of spread out geographically. Yeah. So with that, it grew into a national users group where everybody across the nation would call into our users group to really hear what are we doing? What are best practices? And that user group continues to this day. And we meet on the second Thursday of every month through a Zoom call and it is system agnostic. So it's just CRM best practices at large. And I have guest speakers that come on and share what they use their system for. We've had like go, no-go processes. And so I accidentally became known as the CRM girl just because I had a passion for it. And I really like like you said in my intro, the data, I'm the data yeah. nerd. <laughs> that engineering background, you know, you tend to be more numbers and analytical. So that has held true my whole life. 
I think it was you that had told me once that you keep whatever you're working on on one screen and then you have your CRM on the other screen and you just constantly update so that you Absolutely. don't end up with this massive pile of updates that you have to do at the end. That of will never get done. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, yeah. Ever since then, I've started doing that and I've told everyone on my team to do it <laughs> and it saves a ton of time. It does. It's fantastic. And you know, it's, it's so interesting. Christina Leahy at Cocentral and I have been really good friends for um, 15 years now and she and I are cut from the same cloth and, and are very analytical. And so we kept getting pushback from people going, no, that just takes too much time. And so we did, we timed it. We got the information from an email that said, you know, the square footage is this, the cost is this, and we updated it right then. It was 60 seconds to have the other screen open with my CRM system, search for that project, update the record, versus we tucked that email away and then came back to it a week later. We had to remember who sent it. Why did we send it? Is it the truth? Is it just something that was for this specific proposal? And that maybe shouldn't be updated system-wide. And then it ended up being a minute and a half to two minutes. And we had to bug the person who sent it to us to get permission of, because we forgot, is it or isn't it the truth? So really, if you're doing it in the moment, it actually is quicker. And you get accurate information because you remember if Bob told you that this is just, oh, just use this now. I don't know if this is the final number. You can make that note and denote that in the system and then come back to it later. So I love that you remembered that tip. And yes, I live and die by that, having the second monitor and having it always open. Well, and can you imagine as an engineer, if you've given the same information a few times and your marketers keep coming back to you with the same question and you're like, well, I gave it to you already. Like, I don't know how many times along my career I've heard that. And one of at my second general contractor that I worked at, I was at a superintendent meeting talking about CRM and how to use it. And I had been working with this crotchety old superintendent, man, he had a special place in my heart, but he was grumpy. And he was that guy who was like, I am not giving you my information for my resume anymore. So I went out to the job site and I interviewed him and I put it all in our CRM. And then six months later, he called me and he was like, uh, Courtney, I haven't heard from you in a while. I was like, well, yeah, we put it all in the CRM. I don't need it anymore. I don't need to call you anymore. I don't need to bug you. And he's like, well, now I kind of miss you. Like, is there something else that we can do? And he stood up in that superintendent meeting was like, here's the deal, guys. If you want marketing off your back, just help her populate the CRM. I was like, I don't know if that's how I would have, you know, marketed that slogan. But hey, if, if that's what gets me the information, then sure. I mean, it has to come from them though, doesn't it? Absolutely. So you had mentioned you have little ones. How has being a wife and a mom influenced your career or shaped it? I am so proud to be a woman in this industry, proud to be a woman business owner. And sometimes questions like this are like, oh, kind of cringeworthy because you wouldn't necessarily ask a a man that, right? But it really does play a part in my story and it does play a part in who I am. So to me, I can't, I can't divide that. I cannot Mm -hmm. divorce myself from that. And so I've owned it. I absolutely have that as part of my identity for my career. 
And it definitely impacted it. So when I was pregnant, I mentioned that I started that user group. Well, when I had my baby and I came back, my desk was taken by the person who temporarily filled it for maternity leave. And there was no indication that she was going to leave. So I had to find a new desk, take it upon myself to find a new space in the office, which was super fun. And then this was back in the days where they also didn't have like nursing rooms and you know right. things like that, where I had to pump in the stall in the bathroom. You know, so it was, it was different times. I get that. But coming back, my boss had said, you know, I, I kind of figured that you might want to go part-time or something now that you've had a baby. And I was like, no, that was not my plan. But um, I guess if I want to keep my job, uh, <laughs> then I will agree to that. So I went, you can't see me, but I'm saying air quotes part-time because uh -huh. we all know in AEC marketing, there is no such thing as part-time. No. But, you know, that was the plan to go part-time. And he said, you really like the CRM thing. So why don't you just focus on that? Well, really that just meant do proposals and populate and focus on the CRM. Yeah. So I did that for about a year and a half and said, you know what? I've got a young kiddo. I am not happy being a part-time anything. I need to be either a full-time mom. And I knew enough to realize that that is not a good fit for me or my child. Mm -hmm. So I am a happier mom working. Therefore, yeah. I am a better mom working. So I um, switched to an engineering firm that had 14 offices across the nation. The headquarters was in Nashville, Tennessee. And they had the unfortunate situation where two offices submitted the same proposal or two different proposals to the same client. Oh, and no. the fees were different. So the CEO got a call and said, do we like pick the lowest bidder amongst yourself? Like, how does that work? And so they said, uh -huh. never again can this happen. So they turned to their CRM to solve that problem for them. So I really was able to use workflows and automation to vet out. So geographically, everyone was notified and that never happened again. But at that firm, I was really able to flourish because I was able to travel and step away from my children for a little, or child at that point, single child, and still have a career, but yet balanced it with my, my kiddo. And it was fantastic. And I really thrived being a new mom, some of the moms there, I really, I, I'm a big proponent of asking a lot of questions of those who have charged ahead of you. So I've had many mentors along the way. And I asked the moms there like, Hey, how do you do this? How do you, when you're at work and you're just thriving and you're in the moment, you have that gnawing guilt that, Oh, I should be with my kid. And then when you're with your kid and you're in the moment and you're playing and you're having fun, you're like, Oh, I should be working on this project. Like, how do you get away from the guilt on either side? And they had just great advice along the way. And, you know, it, it doesn't stop having some of that in our society where I'll be at playdates with, with friends or my children's friends and the moms will go, um, man, I just, I don't understand how you can work or how, you know, how can you be a good mom and work? And you still get some of that, but I just take it as an opportunity of, I, I am a better mom when I am working. I am a mm -hmm. better human being when I am fed for my passions. Now that's not for everyone. I get yeah. why you chose to be a stay at home mom, or I, ch I understand how you chose to be the CEO of your household or whatever that is. That's just not a good fit for me. Yeah. So it is a definitely a part of my journey. And then I interviewed when I was pregnant with my second to stay here in the DFW area and went back to a contractor here in town and Having kids and having being the breadwinner and my husband being a firefighter, city workers don't make all that much money, mm -hmm. um, but firefighting was his passion at the time. So 
I would have late nights and work and my kids were with me. And I will give other moms with young kiddos a tip that file boxes are a great pack and play on the go. Because there are many times where I would stick the youngest one in a uh, file box, not closed, of course, to open so that she could play with her toys in there. And then my youngest, a whiteboard is, is hours of entertainment. So to get a proposal done, man, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. So then how has your experience working in-house at a company shaped the way you run your own company now? So it, it led to, I found my job, uh, myself without a job nine days before Christmas in 2015 and just really had been jaded by the corporate world and had done what I felt was the best I could do and just got outplayed politically. And I couldn't bring myself to find a firm that I really wanted to go back into that environment with. And I just started helping people, helping other people that I knew in the industry through SMPS and things like that, and helping other departments either do proposals or start up their CRM or populate their CRM. And I knew another consultant here in town. I think you've interviewed her, Julie Schaefer with Schaefer yeah. Creative. And she would throw me some work like, hey, I need these forms populated for this proposal or I need these project sheets um, formatted or what have you along the way. And it was May. So five months later, my business coach said, are you ready to start your consulting firm or what? And I was like, oh, I don't know that I can do that. He's like, what do you think you've been doing for five months? You haven't skipped a paycheck. You've put food on the table for your family. You've provided. What do you think you're doing? I was like, well, I'm just helping people. And he's like, that's what being a consultant right. is. <laughs> you're sharing the knowledge that you have. And so I think coming from it from that perspective and not setting out to build an empire or not setting out to do anything other than helping people with the knowledge and the skills and the experiences that I've had has really impacted the business. And then, so that was in May. In November, I was so busy that I had to hire my first employee. And I was with Julie at a conference and we were sharing a room and I just said, man, how do you go about finding an employee? Like, I just need data entry people. And she said, you know, we're coming up on Thanksgiving break. What if you reached out to like the teachers that your kids have had because they're, they're competent. They might want work over the breaks. That could be great for you. It's just a night gig for them. And sure enough, my daughter's, my oldest daughter's kindergarten teacher was looking for some side work and then ended up, I got her busy enough that she didn't go back to being a teacher sorry for the teacher workforce because she's an amazing teacher, but it worked out for her. Because <laughs> sorry, she, not sorry. Right? <laughs> she ended up having another kiddo. So it worked out best for her. And then along the way, the more that I hired, it ended up being parents who I hired or those that maybe didn't have kiddos, but lifestyles in which they wanted the flexibility and they don't want to work nine to five in an office. And so the people that are on my team from then on have just been those who want to control their own destiny as far as their career goes, their time, how they work, when they work. And I am definitely not a micromanager by any means. Sometimes I'm too hands off. Um, I have to work on that sometimes, but I am very trusting. And hey, if you, if you want to get your job done at midnight, get your job done at midnight. If you want to do it at, you know, 5 a.m. when you wake up, cool. As long as it's done. When you're, you know, responsive to our clients, I don't really care when it gets done. Yeah. So that has really impacted how my business is structured. And then it's also impacted the clients that we get because people know I'm not just preaching to the choir. I've been there. I've done that. I've lived it. 
I was, you know, a marketer for seven and a half years. And then also all those internships, like I've, I've seen the breadth and depth of our industry. So I think that that has really impacted people being able to trust that I know the industry, trust that I know what to do with their data and their information to get them in the place that they need to be. So when you're looking at data, like let's say you go into a new company, what is the one thing that you would say that marketers could benefit from if they did just one thing? Data hygiene. Looking at the data that you have, maintaining it, cleaning it, and monitoring on a regular basis. I think some of us as marketers want to be perfectionists and want to populate every piece of a project before we consider it good. But I think that even if you have the bare minimum, the project name, the location, the client, the dates, the dollars, that's all you've got. If it's five fields of data, then make sure that those five fields of data are populated across all of your projects so that you can run reports like you're in progress projects or last completed in the last five years or be able to slice and dice and say, I'm going to take, you know, a weekend or take the next two weeks to populate the categories of our projects. So that I can say, give me all of our healthcare projects over a million dollars. That makes you a powerful marketer because now you're bringing stats to the table for proposals and that strategy piece. So when you're putting a proposal together, you can say, hey, did you know that our stats show that we are X amount of efficient for these kind of projects on this contract type? Well, if we put that in the cover letter or the executive summary, that client is going to resonate with that. They want us to be as efficient as possible because that means return on their investment. That makes you a powerful marketer. The more that you can trust your data and your information, the better. So really running those reports on a regular basis so that you have confidence in your data that it's populated and then spending time not on a deadline, hunting and gathering information is part of that data hygiene. So every Friday I would run reports in my CRM looking for missing information because Friday afternoons, people were less busy, but I could catch them before they got out of the office and they would give me the information and I would populate it. Not while I'm scrambling and saying, Oh my God, the proposal's due in two hours. Please give me this information. But rather they knew on Friday's afternoon, I'd be updating and I would say, Oh, this project doesn't have an accurate completion date. Could you get that for me? And then they would get it either then or, you know, earlier the next week. But I would just send out those emails on Friday and then populate the data as it would come back in. Again, as I got the email, I had the screen open, updated it. And then I would run the report the next Friday and those holes would be filled or they wouldn't. And then I would remind them again. So looking at that, I always could trust the information or I knew the holes that were there. So if I was going to need it on a proposal, I already knew what holes needed to be filled for that pursuit. Excellent. I love that term, data hygiene. That's perfect. <laughs> you know, I have to give props. It was, um, I was presenting in Chicago and I had always, you know, balanced between like data integrity, those kind of things. And I was chatting with someone after and it kind of slipped out of the conversation. I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I said that or you said that, but I'm using that from now on. Data hygiene, that's a good one. (laughs) I know that you've spoken on a variety of topics in the past, which is sort of how I came to know about you. Are there any projects you're working on now that you'd like to share maybe? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting that as you become a public speaker, your topics vary along the way, along Mm -hmm. the journey. And so right now in the environment that we're in with 
COVID and being virtual and people working from home, especially that never had before in our industry because our industry was late to adopt the idea of letting people work from home. Mm -hmm. So really, I have thrived in a virtual environment for four years because that's all our team has ever known is working virtually because we're spread across the nation. And so other chapters in SNPS have kind of reached out and said, could you put a presentation together on prospering or thriving in a virtual environment? So that is something that I'm happy to share all the tips and tricks that we have discovered over the last four years. And then two passion projects that I've always had is obviously CRM user group. I mentioned it at the beginning. We meet on the second Thursday of every month. And that information is on our website. But along the way, I've had marketers in our industry say, man, I love that you do the CRM user group, but I just am not in a place that my firm is ready for a CRM or we've got that down. Could you actually talk about some marketing things as well? And so now we have a marketing call that started earlier this year on the first Wednesday of every month. And I bring in special guests. Last month we had... Joy Gwen, she presented on Go No Go processes. And oh, cool. I've had some awesome people that come in and give guest speaking gigs on specific topics. This week, we're having Mercedes talk about cover letters and the power of writing for your proposals. And then we just open it for a forum and have discussions. And it's really a great place to have informal discussions for marketers in our industry. So those, I would say, are the three passion projects right now. Very cool. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that you ended up in a month long conversation on race with Danielle Gray. How did you get there? Number one, (laughs) because it's not an easy subject to tackle, especially in this industry. So first of all, hats off. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Could you give a little bit of background on how that came to be? Yeah, absolutely. So Danielle Gray and I got connected earlier in 2020. And along the way, we've just really had a very transparent, open relationship from the get-go. For those that don't know, Danielle Gray is the content whisperer. She is African-American, lives in Atlanta, Georgia. And she's not thrown off by the AEC industry being so predominantly white. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that she doesn't have her uncomfortable moments. And she shared that on some of our calls, but I think that because of that, she is more open to some of the conversations and transparency. So when the death of George Floyd happened, we were on a team call and and she just wasn't herself. And so I said, Hey, Danielle, can you stay on after our team call? The rest of our team jumped off and she and I entered into a very vulnerable conversation about, Hey, what can I do for you? Like, how can I help? What, what are you experiencing? What are the things I should be even asking you about talking to you about? And I had to admit, I, when, when George Floyd happened, I never thought to reach out to you. Like I think of you first as my friend. I think of you as the content whisperer. I think of you as a badass chick who has a fantastic company. Like, I I don't know that I first think of you as black. And so when this happened, I didn't even cross my mind to reach out to you. Like, is that a shortcoming on my part? Is that me being ignorant? Like, help me, help me think through that. And so 
through that conversation at the very end, we, I just said, you know, white privilege is a thing and that's something that I have to dive into and understand and, and wrap my head around. But with that privilege, I also have a privilege of being a speaker and having a platform. And she said, well, so do I, she has a following. She has a, a platform too. And I said, well, what, what are we going to do with that? Like, shouldn't we do something? And isn't this our place? And so I said, well, what if we just do what we just did? What if we just have the conversation that we just had for the past 30 minutes, but invite others to that conversation? And she was like, Oh, are we really going to do that? And I said, well, what else are we going to do? She said, all right, let's do it. So I hit record on zoom and we recorded a snippet of a promo. And I just said, Hey, we just had this conversation. We're going to invite you to it. We posted it that afternoon. So that was a Monday afternoon for people to join us on that Thursday. And within the first 12 hours, we had reached over a hundred registrants and went, Oh, whoa, I think this might be something bigger than what we were anticipating. So we spent the week researching and having oh so many discussions and hard topics and great, great questions that people were flooding us with. And we had our first conversation. I welcome anybody to go look at those conversations, watch them. They all were recorded. They're up on our website. I know that you're going to provide the link in the show notes. We had two guest speakers also the last two sessions. So they were both fantastic. Damien shared his experience being an African-American man in this EC industry. And then the very last session, we brought in Buck Davis, who is a specialist in diversity training and coaching and has a series on um, race and resilience. So I think that through this, it opened my eyes up. I had to admit not failures, but learning lessons along the way from things like I took my kiddos to a protest and had to admit to Danielle, like, I just don't feel like this is my place. Like, should I show up? Like, should I be that white person that shows up to a protest? Like, how, how does that work? And I took the leap and I went and I sent her a picture and she goes, that's fantastic. I'm so glad that you went. Um, we have to talk about one of your signs. And I was like, oh no, what did I do? And I had hesitated when I went to go write Black Lives Matter on a poster because I was like, oh, can I, like, is that my place? Should I? Could I? Can I write that? And so I ended up just writing All Lives Matter instead. And we had a long discussion about how that isn't appropriate at the time. And we have an article and a video and a whole explanation on the website about why that that isn't appropriate for the setting. And that was a learning lesson. That was eye-opening for me about once, once you'd explained it, like you don't show up at a breast cancer rally saying all cancer matters. You don't show up when someone's house is on fire saying all houses matter. You know, when you put it in that context, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. I get it. But in the moment, that, that, that's not where my head was at. So I welcomed those learning lessons. Now, did I anticipate having them broadcasted so publicly? Probably not, but I'm open to that. That's okay. If I'm learning, so is someone else. So it was the most vulnerable, raw, tough month that I've ever experienced in my career for, for many reasons, but it was, it was a wild ride and I'm so thankful that I had it with her. Thank you so much for even doing it. I mean, like you said, you put yourself in a pretty vulnerable situation. So did Danielle, but we all learned so much from it. I was on 
a few of those calls. And I, I remember just sitting in my car in tears listening. So thank you. I, it's a conversation that needed to happen. And, and it's, and it's one that I hope continues. I hope this is not just something that is the hot conversation for the moment because of media and then it dies away. I really, really do hope that 2020 is the year that we really do make a good amount of change in the right direction. So I hope it's a conversation that continues. Same. If our listeners would like to learn more about you and your work, where should I direct them or where should they go? Jump onto our website. It's got all of our information. Ckerningconsulting.com. K-E-A-R-N-E-Y-C. Ckerningconsulting.com. You can also find me on any social media platform from LinkedIn to Instagram. So you can definitely find us out there, but Seacurning Consulting is, is the way to get a hold of us. Excellent. And then you shared something with me that you wanted to close this out with. Do you want I to- did. And, and this is how we ended every let's talk race conversation. And I've been ending all of my team calls with this and, Every time I read it, I get chills, and I, this is my hope and prayer for 2020, and, and uh, I would love to end with it. So thank you. First, I wanted to say thank you before I close it out for this opportunity and for being um, a female voice in the podcast realm of AEC. <laughs> I just really love what you're doing with your SNPS chapter as well, and, and loved your energy when I met you at PRC, so um, oh, thank you for this opportunity. Absolutely. All right. So this is an Instagram post by Leslie DeWitt. It is on the Let's Talk Race site. So if you do want the link to this post or be able to see it so you can copy it, it's up there. What if 2020 isn't canceled? What if 2020 is the year we've been waiting for? A year so uncomfortable, so painful, so scary, so raw that it finally forces us to grow. A year that screams so loud, finally awakening us from our ignorant slumber. A year we finally accept the need for change. Declare change, work for change, become the change. A year we finally band together instead of pushing each other further apart. 2020 isn't canceled, but rather the most important year of them all. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of AEC Marketeer. And thank you, Courtney, for a great conversation. Next week, we will be talking to Chris Tejeda about all things business development and networking. If you're enjoying this podcast, I invite you to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. New episodes are released every Wednesday. Chat soon.